0: You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 92 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well. And we are here to talk about, oh God, a four-game series from Coors Field, which, look, it it didn't go swimmingly. The Giants lost three out of four, but it didn't have that... Sh- uh that certain just dread that certain chamber of horrors feel that a lot of Coors field games did the giants were generally in the game they were close they had some key bullpen collapses they had this go wrong that go wrong but it, it didn't feel like a a debacle am i am i grading on a curve are you saying, Grant, that you were entertained by watching the games? Uh, yeah, you know, I, they were fine. They were—they weren't typical Coors Field, coming out from underneath the the waves like Thulu and, and devouring the Giants hole. These were just sort of garden variety. You wish a couple of things would have gone different. Losses.
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it when I was writing up something on Mauricio Dubon, and he had a great moment and a great game yesterday, and tried to pump up. Uh, um, his dugout after he had a three-run homer that gave the Giants a very, very momentary three-to-one lead in the seventh inning. Um, really the only scratch they had against Kyle Freeland all day. And, and I thought that was a great moment. That was really entertaining. You know, that was that was fun. That that had to energize the team. That that certainly had to be um, a moment where if you were watching at home, you got off your couch and might have yelled something too. And, and I thought that's the whole reason. That's the whole reason they're back here playing. That's the whole reason they're going through all these protocols and... Um, you know because they know that you're going to tune in you're going to watch and you're going to watch for moments like that and even if it ends with a loss at the end of the day you know it's almost like it's just it's healthy to have realistic expectations for you know for for what you're going to get out of this season and you know that was a great great moment it was a great moment to watch and experience and be a part of and and um i'm sure it was a great moment for him and the giants lost so you know <laughs> if if you're if you're sort of uh you know living and dying with with every uh result this season then then you know you're probably setting yourself up to not get
0: as much enjoyment out of it than you otherwise might. That is a good philosophy I think just in general. Just for watching the, the twenty nineteen Giants, the twenty twenty Giants probably the 2021 Giants, you got to look for nuggets. You got to, you're panning for gold here. And whether it's Donovan Solano hitting 465 or Mike Jastrzemski, you know, doing what he did at at the start of the season, you're just, you're looking for these moments to say, aha. And I had one of those was, was Logan Webb and Logan Webb pitched pretty darn well. He's, he's one of the rare Giants rookies to win a game at Coors Field and he looked good doing it. And, you know, he's not missing bats and that's a, that's a larger problem with the Giants is they're just not missing bats but uh, Logan Webb looks, and in, in he is, and the, they mentioned this on the, the telecast. I've seen it on Twitter. He's kind of a forgotten guy. Like everyone's thinking Luciano, Bart, Ramos, uh, but Webb could be something.
1: Oh, I think so too. And there are people in the Giants front office um, in the player development group who kind of think that he's criminally underrated, uh, that people just don't talk about Logan Webb. You know, they'll talk about Dustin May and maybe it's because his hair is redder. I don't know. Uh, maybe because he looks a little less like Jesse Plemons. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Maybe it's because he throws a hundred mile an hour two-seamer. That, that's probably saying. why. <laughs> That's probably why, but uh, but yeah, no, I I had I've had people in the Giants organization tell me that you know we think he's every bit as good as Dustin May, which you know this, you look objectively at the stuff and it's like mm, not quite, but you know he's he's got a good idea of what to do out there. He's he's poised, and you could say that I think even about some of the relievers when things haven't worked out for them. I mean, you know, Rico Garcia, Caleb Baragar, these guys are all on a big league mound for the first time. And, you know, they're going to miss some locations and, and they don't know the hitters as well. They don't have Buster Posey back there to guide them. Um, so, you know, there's going to be, like you wrote, there's going to be turbulence. And there was certainly turbulence in a couple of lost leads at cores, which which always happens. Um, but I think you have to kind of like their poise and the fact that they they don't look like they're, um, you know, they're humbled out there. They look like they're, they're
0: confident and, and feel like they
1: belong. And that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah, that's that series finale at Coors was sort of a who's who of the bullpenners that I was excited to watch and and high on getting absolutely rocked. Whether it was uh, Rico Garcia, Caleb uh and uh, who uh, was a, it, Sean yep. Anderson? well, Sean Anderson. Yeah, I think he did. He did okay, right? He did okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like that. Those are those are the guys I'm looking at and saying, "Aha, 2021, you might see uh, a Wandy Peralta. You, you know, you're definitely going to see a Sean Anderson." And that that's sort of what I'm getting at with this season is is you want just the Nuggets to take with you and and cash in next year. But one of the concerning things for me is there seems to be a little bit of, I don't know if overuse is the right word, but there are a, a, there's a steady stream of guys who are in there seemingly every game or every other game. Uh, I think when you go by games just pitched, the Giants have, let me, they have one, two, three, I think they have six out of the top 50 um, which is, you know, you've got guys who are throwing every other game. You've, you have Rico Garcia's close to the league lead in uh, games pitched. You have, uh, Bergar, Peralta. Like they're, they're sort of running these guys pretty hard.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a product of the fact that, you know, they went like nine or 10 games before a starter pitched five innings. Um, I think they've got one win from a starting pitcher, which, okay, pitcher wins don't really matter. But, um, yeah, it's you know they're just not getting as much out of their rotation. I, I do think their bullpen is in better shape coming out of a four-game series at Coors Field than you know it, you otherwise might expect it to be. Um, I, I thought I thought all four of their starters uh, really performed pretty well. Uh, Johnny was the one who um, you know probably wishes that he could have been more efficient. Um, but, boy, Kevin Cosman's stuff was, I mean, he was throwing 97 in his final inning. Uh, Webb, we talked about, and you like the way that he kind of commanded uh, the zone, was able to to live on the edges. He didn't leave a lot in the middle of the plate. And and Tyler Anderson, I mean, obviously he was on a, a medical pitch count. He did pitch an inning on Sunday, which was, you know, three days of rest. Um, so for a number of reasons, he could only throw 65 to 70 pitches. And he got through five shutout innings on, on those Pitches, so um, I don't think you could have asked any more of him than, than what he delivered, and and you you look forward and look ahead to to his next uh, start, which I assume will be in Houston, um, and and you have a reasonable degree that he's going to give him a chance to win after what he showed uh, against the Rockies. He didn't leave much in, in the middle of the strike zone either, so um, I think overall that 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 does probably lend to some encouragement that they will be able to get some more length out of their starting pitchers, and I think that's going to be important. Uh, because even if they can't match up the way they used to, because of the three batter rule, um, you know you still want guys to be as rested and 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 have be able to pick spots for them as best you can.
0: When it comes to the Giants starting pitchers generally, I am not thinking, I don't think this is going to play. When I'm watching one of their starting pitchers, with the exception of Jeff Samarja, his, his diminished velocity, I watch him and I'm like, ooh, like, this might not play in the majors. But other than that, when you're talking Gaussman, Cueto, Webb, Drew Smiley when he's healthy, Tyler Anderson, they all seem like Perfectly cromulent starting pitchers at worst, and with a ceiling that that extends above that. Certainly for, for Gossman, it seems like a, a good enough core to keep the Giants in games and eventually get them five, six innings. and And I think. At some point, Kapler's going to start stretching them out more. And, and whether it's just try not to overwork that bullpen quite as much.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they're obviously going into Dodger Stadium in a much different position than when they started the season. When they started the season, they had Drew Smiley. They weren't going to tell you who was pitching. They, you know, were going to potentially use openers. They you know were really going to try to scheme as much as they could, you know, to try to level the, the talent gap between the two teams. And now they, they can't do that you know smiley is on the dl or, or injured list um, they just used like five lefties yesterday including anderson and so Gabe Kapler already announced his rotation for the Dodgers. Last time they hid Jeff Samarja uh, from the Dodgers and, and had him pitch the home opener. This time Samarja's pitching the Friday series opener. And then it's going to be Cueto and Gosman, all right-handers, which is obviously not the way that they would want to line it up, but they don't have that luxury now. So they just have to throw the, their pitchers out there. And, and, and you know, if they're not the most talented team on the field, they have to just, you know, outplay the other team for nine innings, which, you know, they certainly are capable of doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if, they go more conventional in this series because it looks like they're they're gonna kinda have to.
0: One thing that sticks out to me watching the Giants pitching, uh, with the exception of Gaussman uh, and maybe a couple of the pitchers, they don't miss bats. They're not out there striking out the side a ton. And with some pitchers like Cueto, I think that's by design. Cueto is is going to be around a league average strikeout rate by design. He's he's more guile. But some of the other pitchers, even when they have excellent stuff like uh, Logan Webb or Trevor Gott, uh, Connor Menez, they, they're not whiffing a lot or they're not they're not missing bats and that's fine whatever it's not ideal but then it also comes with the flip side of they're not always in the strike zone too they they've walked four batters per nine innings and that's a combination that is really really rough and it's something that that bears watching in this Dodgers series
1: yeah I think that's a good point and we know that strikeout to walk ratio for both hitters and pitchers is something that they are really really um Looking at all the time with everybody that they look to acquire or every roster move they seek to make, it's they just find it to be incredibly predictive, uh, more so than most uh, stats. And and yeah, I, I would agree with you. Whether it's um, uh, you know getting more outs by missing bats or or, or getting guys to embrace. Um, uh, you don't have a lot of people who have a wipeout pitch. Uh, Kevin Gossman's right. splitter, when it's on, it can be a wipeout pitch. Logan Webb's got a really nice slider, but it doesn't have the kind of sweep that you know a wipeout slider would have. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, you know you can't just wave a magic wand and and give everyone a, a wipeout pitch. You know I'm Oprah. You have a wipeout pitch and you have a wipeout <laughs> pitch, but um, but that's that's sort of where they are, and uh, that means that they're going to have to be even more. Um, uh, on on the money when it comes to shifting and, and being more efficient on balls in play. And whoops, they haven't been, which you wrote about the other day, um, both in terms of uh, the shifts not necessarily being super successful early and also just flat out just, just mi- making misplays. I mean, that's uh, that's got to be really, really damaging for a team that relies on a lot of contact for outs.
0: That is exactly the segue I was looking for because this is a bad defensive team. And I, I keep looking at the names and I'm not sure what we expected. You have Evan Longoria. He's he's pretty darn rock solid at, at third base. Uh, Brandon Belt might have lost a step, but he's, he's, he's fine at first. But, you know, Brandon Crawford, former goal glover, I'm not sure he's quite the same Brandon Crawford that we've been watching. You know, this year he's made some nice plays. There is a steadiness on those plays in the hole. He still has the great arm. It's not It's not quite jaw-dropping. Maybe he just hasn't had the opportunities to, to pull our jaws down uh, in the field. But other than that, it's, it's a pretty rough defensive team.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I looked yesterday, and um, the Giants have the the lowest uh, war uh, at the shortstop position in the major leagues. It was definitely running in the the negatives. Um, And and you do wonder if Brandon Crawford is going to play a lot less um, against – you know, maybe not just against lefties. Um, you know they, they certainly have Donny Solano who they can't take out of the lineup right now. Um, there's going to be a lot of days when they'll have Longoria and then maybe they want to play Dubon at second base. And uh, that would leave Solano at short. Um, and, and he's no great great shakes at shortstop either. But, uh, you know, it it may come to a decision where Brandon Crawford's
0: glove doesn't keep him in the lineup if he's he's not hitting. And that's an important point because the Giants are consciously making a lot of decisions to get more offense in the lineup. When you sign Wilmer Flores to a two-year deal, you are making a conscious decision that he can— score more runs or score enough runs or or contribute to enough runs than his defense allows. And you're saying, okay, we're going to make that sacrifice. And when you're going with uh, Mike Yastrzemski in center field, where he's a tick below average and you don't, you don't have Billy Hamilton out there. You don't have Steven Duggar. You're saying, well, this will allow us to put other offensive guys in, in the corners. We'll make that trade. And they're making these trades all over the diamond in, in the compact is that, we're going to get more runs out of it, so it's going to be a net positive for us. When you're looking at Crawford, that net positive just isn't there right now. If you're if you're playing him for defense and you're saying, well, he's going to prevent more runs, uh, it's going to be worth it in the end, it, I'm just not seeing it so far this year, and that's it's going to be a real tricky question that the front office has to navigate.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're going to try to be as respectful as they can to these decorated veterans, knowing that they're not really a part of, of of their future, and um, and how do you sort of gently coax them out the door? And oh wait, Hunter Pence, you came back. Wait, no, we gave you a scooter. What are you doing here? Um, <laughs> and now he's yeah. They're just I, that. That's what I don't understand about the Hunter Pence thing about the signing. I realize he's there to help the clubhouse. He's there because okay, he makes some sense against left-handed pitching, but you know what? If he really keeps struggling like he has, the Giants are right back in the same awkward PR position that they were when he left last time. And he basically was a shadow of his former self. It's just like, I don't get it. And and we we thought Pablo Sandoval might have been one of the roster cuts when they cut down from 30 to 28 and ended up being Steven Duggar because his lefty bat doesn't really fit the, for the Dodgers series. And he was up pretty much just to run down fly balls at Coors Field. And Andrew Suarez, they sent him down, which that I don't understand either. Don't you want as many lefties as possible against the Dodgers? But, um, you know, yeah, we all thought that Pablo might have been on the bubble there just because he hasn't looked in shape. He hasn't, they haven't trusted him to play third base. But they've, yeah, they've got this veteran problem. And at some point, and we know that, okay, they're already four games back. The Rockies and Dodgers have kind of have some separation in the standings here. Uh, there's there is a possibility to get in as a wild card. the Giants are only two games under 500 there's a long way to go we all know that but you wonder at what point they would just you know turn the page. And they realize that every at-bat they give to a Hunter Pence, to a Pablo Sandoval, to a Brandon Crawford
0: is is not really serving their long-term interests. And I do think that point will come. Crawford's under contract for next year. That's a trickier d- decision. But one thing that makes everything just a little less tricky is, is that there are no fans. And when you're signing Pablo Sandoval and you're signing Hunter Pence, uh, you at least, you're not doing it totally for fan service. That's not how the Giants operate. But it's, it's a perk. It's a cherry on top of the Sunday. And if you're thinking, well, if, if we're going to have... Uh, need a right-handed part of a platoon why not this fan favorite that that can't hurt you know the calculus but there's no fans you're not worried about someone coming up from Turlock for their one game of the season specifically because their kid is the big world's biggest Hunter Pence fan it's, it's not quite there and when Pence left and went to the Rangers. I wrote It's one of my first articles I wrote for The Athletic saying that this is great because if he struggled with the Giants, that was going to be the most uncomfortable year ever. And part of that had to do with playing in front of the fans and the, the fans who, when he would switch from left to right field in the middle of a game, would get a standing ovation from the fans down the right field line. That's not quite there this year. And that's part of the equation, I, I would have to think.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, yeah, it's. You have those guys when they signed Pence uh, um, and they brought back Pablo, the people who didn't like it often would say, oh, they're just here to sell tickets. And, well, like you just pointed out, there are no tickets to be sold. Um, so uh, there, there was one guy who tried to um, get a drone view of the game in Minnesota and, and get. I think he might have gotten arrested and prosecuted for that. Um, but, yeah, unless you're sitting in a kayak next to um, McCovey Cove Dave, that's about as close as you're going to get to watching a Giants game this year. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. That incentive isn't there. And I, I don't really imagine that having Hunter Pence on the team is going to make a big impact in TV ratings from, you know, if, if he played tonight versus if he didn't. Um, so, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's one big
0: um advantage that they saw to, to signing him that, that doesn't really exist. I will say, so we're talking about 31 plate appearances from Hunter Pence. He is one for 31, well, I guess one for 29 if you're just going by at bats, which is not great. Uh, it might be historically awful when it comes to starts, but I, I, when I watch him play and I watch him swing the bat, I, I think he's had at least a couple hard hit outs. I'm not... He seems like someone who is just sort of snake bit a little bit right now. He's Maybe he's not the same player he was with the Giants, of course. I still think that the guy from last year wasn't a complete fluke and that he might still be in there and there's ut- there's utility in having him do this and I- he might be a better bet when it comes to that right-handed part of a platoon than than Jalen Davis for just the 2020 season. I kind of still see it with Pence and I'm willing to give him just a little bit more of a leash. But I wrote about Sandoval and looking under the hood where it- you're looking at his launch angle, you're looking at his exit velocity. And I just, I'm not seeing anything there that that screams to me, no, 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 just wait this out. Uh, everything is going to get better soon. I'm not seeing
1: it. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, Pence has had some hard outs. Uh, we know, I, I think they're misusing him. I mean, having him pinch run for the first time in his career, playing him in right field at Coors Field. I mean, that is not how you use Hunter Pence. Um, right. I, so I, I think that he really needs to be a DH and a pinch hitter. I, I don't think you can put him in the outfield. But um, he did make a nice play in foul ground on, on the last homestand, too. So, um, you know, there is that. But but putting him in right field and course field, I mean, that's... I, I hate to say it, but that's negligent. You, you can't do that. Um, Pablo, I agree with you. I think that there's less offensive upside with Pablo now than there is with Pence. Uh, you know, when, when Gabe Kapler was asked to assess his condition as, as he came into the second camp, Um, he, he sort of skirted the question and said, look, Pablo's here to slug. Well, he's got seven hits and they're all singles. And most of them are seeing eye singles. And I, I'm right there with you on the exit Velo. I, it's, I don't see, um, I don't see a guy who's able to clear his hips quite honestly, because he's too big. Um, and, and I think that, uh. Uh, you know he's he's probably not long for this team if he doesn't start to slug.
0: And there's a lot of other reasons. It's if if he's not hitting, you know he's uh, tied for the league lead in double plays, of course. But he he's doesn't give the positional versatility that he might otherwise offer. Where he's he's not giving you I, the Giants don't need a ton of innings at third, and that's part of the reason. But he he's not able to play third right now, or the Giants are unwilling to play him, or they don't need him at third and you know he's fine at first base he's a great scooper he has zero range but he's not running you know he 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 can't really run he's he's I think the sixth percentile in foot speed in baseball and it hurts and you see it on the bases where he's very station to station on a team that uh, they've done a little bit better with power than expected but they're not a a gigantic slugging team Uh, so the whole package it's if his name were Will Johnson, I'm just not sure that the Giants would still be messing around with him.
1: But his name were Nick Johnson, then they wouldn't have signed Aubrey Huff.
0: That is a fascinating rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, they were—they really wanted Nick Johnson, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. There was a rumor. It was a—I think it was—is it was Ken Rosenthal. So it wasn't just some Johnny yeah. Fly By night uh, reporter reporting that. But I wanted Nick Johnson. I really—I thought that was the guy. And let's see, 2009 to 2010 um he's going to be let me see he's he's 30 okay and he had a 426 on base percentage in 574 plate appearances the year before which means hey Hey, he's finally healthy, and he's getting on base, and this is the guy the Giants need. I was all in on the Nick Johnson bandwagon. I'll
1: tell you what. We should come up with a whole list of all the things that we want to know. What, what was the truth about Nick Johnson? What was the truth about um, you know different acquisitions, different trades that they were rumored to be close to making? And we'll take Brian Sabian out. We'll feed him a few vodka cranberries, and we'll get the whole <laughs> story. We'll get everything out of him.
0: We're getting to that point where he he might just have a little bit more screw it in, in what he needs to hold on to than, than he otherwise would have. But yeah, like I'm just fascinated like who was who if not Mark DeRosa would the Giants have signed and how much playing time would he have gotten? And does that mean no Cody Ross? You know, I, I'm always fascinated with these rabbit holes, but now we're down another one. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. The one that I would
1: really love to know is the whole backstory of, and I'm sure a lot of this was done on the owner. Most of it was probably done on the ownership level. But when they were doing the whole back and forth of if they were going to re-sign Bonds for 2007, which you knew they were because they went through that whole ordeal with him only so they could get him to the all-time home run record. They were you know, 20 away or whatever it was. You knew they were going to bring him back. But you heard every free agent rumor out there. You heard Carlos Lee, Alfonso Soriano. I mean, <laughs> yes. you go go down the list. And it's like, how, how much of that was all a complete charade just to apply some pressure to Barry so he would sign? And then they signed him for, you know, basically what he was making before anyway. So, you know, we went through that whole thing. Was there a, really a mystery team? Was it really the Cardinals... Uh, um and speaking of vodka cranberries, Tony Tony Larusa actually was uh uh, was bragging about meeting with bonds when and then he turned and he saw me standing right next to him in the lobby of the hotel <laughs> and he was like oh no uh, uh, and, and and someone said tony that guy covers the Giants and, and Tony's like oh I was just joking um, uh, so I, I would love to know the whole backstory of, of that winter meetings and, and whether Barry bonds really did take meetings with other teams
0: and you go back even further I can go down rabbit holes all day long because then you have the Yankees deciding you know I'm not sure the exact number but oh boy we can't do 44 4 million for bonds you know we are we're capped at 42 million and it's like come on Yankees this is Barry Bonds. But the Yankees really, really wanted Barry Bonds and Greg Maddox. And in retrospect, those are two of the most productive free agents of all time, full stop, any team. Barry Bonds and Greg Maddox might be the one, two. I mean, depending on how Max Scherzer finishes his Nationals career, Maddox and Bonds might be the all-time one, 2 of free agent success stories. And the Yankees almost had them both. I think about that Maybe once a week. And they would have had Roger Clemens at the same time, wouldn't they? Let's see. That would have been, I think, before the Clemens era. I think the Clemens era was was after that. I think that would have made them not players for Clemens. Clemens was 99. We're talking 93 for for Bonds and Maddox. But... I mean, that would have been just a Yankees team before the Yankees team. That would have like kickstarted that whole Yankees dynasty. But then they don't have Jeter. They don't have. You know what I mean? Like it's. I'm. I'm always fascinated by the. Uh, what is it? The the butterfly effect. I yeah. just cannot shut up about it. It is definitely my brand.
1: Well, let's talk about the butterflies going through Donovan Solano right now because you mentioned Barry Bonds, and I asked Elias Sports Bureau to look this up because I was curious. Uh, The last time a giant had a higher average than 465 through um, 14 games. And in the San Francisco era, there's only one. It was Barry Bonds hitting 514 through the first 14 games in 2004, which, uh, you know, was a crazy nutso year in which he drew like 230 walks. So, Uh, But before that, to find another giant who hit better than Donovan Solano's 465 through 14 games, you have to go back 98 years to George High Pockets Kelly, who was batting 471 in 1922 um, through 14 games. So from High Pockets Kelly to Barry Bonds to, of course, Donovan Solano.
0: Oh, man, I wish I had done the math to see what it would take for him to hit 400 uh, in the remaining 46 games because I'll bet you it's not that high. I think he's already got in 12 games a head start in this goofy mutant season that would sustain him to, like, say if he hits 350 for the next 44 games. I think that's enough to do it, and I'm going to have to run those numbers. I'm not sure if that's... uh uh, you know what? I I think I'll I'll save that for you. I'm not even gonna tweet that out. That's gonna be a slip it to bags under the table special because I I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be pretty remarkable at how little he needs to do in a 60 game season to hit 400.
1: You know, um, the most amazing thing is uh, he could be hitting higher. He really could. Is every at bat is a good at bat? Is every swing decision is a good swing decision? And he's hitting hard fouls. He's making hard outs. I mean, he he's he's staying back on curveballs and barreling them. He's hitting home runs on pitches that are five inches in. Uh, right now, he's covering the entire plate, and people don't know how to pitch him. They keep trying to pound him in, and he finds a way to turn on it. And I mean, he's been fun to watch. It's it's he just looks like he's in control of every plate appearance
0: right now. You know, as, as much fun as we have with Michael Reed and Connor Joe and Aaron Alter, like, you know, there have been some guys just passing through. Uh, this is a success story for for Zaidi where it, he was in the Dodgers organization in 2018. So he sort of, he's one of the guys that Zaidi brought over, so to speak, saying, no, 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 we saw something in him. It's something very specific and it's still going to work. And by Jove, it still works. And so whatever they saw, because we're talking about a guy whose career batting average in the minors in 4,000 plate appearances, let's say 4,466 plate appearances, 278. So even in the minors, he was never raking. He was never, you know, he was never Rod Carew or Wade Boggs in the minors just waiting for his shot. Something had to change. Something had to be spotted. And he's adjusted and he's become... Something, I, I don't think that you can just chalk this up to sample size. There, there's something going on there.
1: I'm just laughing looking at his baseball reference page because everyone said, well, he hit 409 on balls in play last year. So he's clearly not going to do that again. He's a huge regression candidate. Well, guess what? It's 14 games, but you know what he's hitting on balls in play right now? 514. Right. He's hitting 514 <laughs> on balls in play. And this is a great stat. Not only does he lead the NL in batting average right now, but here's his offensive winning percentage, which is the percentage of games a team with nine of this player batting would win, which it's sort of hilarious to think of nine Donovan Solano. Like cloned, and one of them oh, there's there's one of them catching, and there's one of them at third base, and there's one of them in center field. Uh, percentage of games a team with nine of this player batting would win, assuming average pitching and defense, and that winning percentage friend is eight ninety three. If you had yeah. nine Donovan Solano's batting for you, you would be winning almost nine games out of ten, which is crazy.
0: And the ones you'd lose would be because he allowed a passed ball or something. Yeah which he's never caught before. His brother's a catcher. and He's not a catcher. So. <laughs> but I think one thing that people should keep in mind when it comes to batting average and balls in play, it's an incredibly, just phenomenally useful stat. It can tell you, it can just really give you a hint whether or not someone is having a lot more bloops fall in, a lot more seeing-eye ground balls. Like, it's, it's a legit stat. But there are also players who consistently do well with it, and they are players, Ichiro, uh, Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, you know what I mean? They, they have high batting averages on balls in play, and you can't just point and say, well, Ichiro, that guy was a 19-year fluke, because you know that's not exactly what's happening. Uh, but so it's just a matter of, can you hit the ball hard? Or do you have a plan up there? Uh, what's your approach? How are you executing it? I'm not saying that Donovan Solano is Ichiro, Tony Gwynn, or Ty Cobb, but I don't know, maybe he is. Yes, and you are. Run with him, sure. Sh- yeah. Why yeah not? He, hasn't,
1: he hasn't shown that he's not so yeah. far. Um, I mean, you know, the thing that's baked into this, obviously, is is home runs are not part of the equation. So if, if you are not a home run hitter, but you're a contact hitter, you better have a good batting average on balls in play, or else, um, you know, you're not having a good season. Um, but yeah, there are years that Barry Bonds has hit, like, you know, 270 um on balls and play and you think, oh boy, he was totally unlucky, but oh no, he also hit seventy three home runs that weren't baked into that calculation. <laughs> um so uh yeah, it's it, it does tell you like how things should generally even out. I mean the league batting average on balls and play is usually like around two ninety five or something like that. Uh, But, you know, if you're making hard contact, it's probably going to get between people and you're probably going to hit it where people have to run a long way to try to get it in a short amount of time. And right now he's doing that.
0: Donnie Barrels. All right. Well, this has been episode 91 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Nope. 92. 92. I caught myself. This is episode 92. We're, we're inching close to that uh, centennial. Uh, do you have anything planned for that? Do you have a suit, new suit?
1: Um, I haven't. I've worn pants like twice since March, so no. I will I'll probably yeah. not be wearing pants.
0: You didn't even save one of those times for the ballpark. Just strolled right in with your sweats. Well, you know? Whatever. How- Live your best life. Live your life. All right. Well, this has been episode 92. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing the heck out of us. And we will be back on Monday to talk about Dodger stuff. Dodgers stuff. Dodger Stadium. It's been too long. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.